Welcome to I, We, He at OBC. I'm discipleship pastor Jason Barrow, and my wife Lori and I are so blessed because we always get to hear so many people's stories. And when we do, it's easier to see different pieces of the puzzle come together. You get a first-hand look at who God is and what He's doing in the lives of others. And hearing the stories of our brothers and sisters has really been encouraging and challenging to us, so we want you to hear them too. In today's episode, you'll hear Josh and Amy Savage's story. God rescued them from a life of legalism and fear and brought them to a sweet place of grace and trust. As you listen, we pray that your passion is ignited to love Jesus and everyone else. It's I, we, he, baby. Let's go. Today on I, we, he at OBC, we got Josh and Amy Savage. Josh and Amy have been married for 15 years. They got four beautiful children. Been Iwehean at OBC for four years. And Josh just celebrated his second anniversary as a full-time staff member here as our hospitality director. Josh and Amy Savage, we are so thankful that you guys are spending some time with us today. We're honored to be here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Amy, you guys have got this beautiful ginger family. Now, that's not my words, Josh. Talks about your family that way. Ginger, fair skin, and I thought all beautiful redheaded people came from these redheaded families just like you guys have, but apparently that's not true. No, we didn't. Um, I grew up in a family with three girls. I'm the oldest, and I have red hair. And my next sister has brown hair, and my last sister has blonde hair. And we were often, my dad often referred to us as the Neapolitan sisters. Um <laughs> And Josh didn't have any redheads in his family, except Tim. When he was little, he had red hair. Now it's just red beard. So mom and dad had red hair? <laughs> no, my parents do not have red hair. So you're the only redhead in your family, yes. too. And so something interesting about Josh that um, I did not know, and I bet not many other people <laughs> knew outside of Amy. But it's for real, you did not go to your first movie until you were 37 years old. 37 years old. The first movie I ever went to... We had been here at the church just a couple months, and Steve got up on a Sunday morning and said, hey, it's a great Christian movie coming out. We bought every seat down at the Kingsway 4. We want y'all to go down there and watch the movie. I thought, oh, my goodness, we're in a cult for sure. (laughs) So we went. We went and got tickets, and we went to the movie theater, trembling, just fearful. Walked inside, and there was Steve standing there, and I said, what do I do now? <laughs> so he took me over there and got me some popcorn and showed me, where, <laughs> showed me where my seat was and all that kind of stuff, and we went in, didn't burst into flames. Everything worked out fine. As a food connoisseur, like, what was your thoughts about the, the theater popcorn? You hadn't had popcorn until you had theater popcorn. <laughs> no. no. All I grew up with was the microwave popcorn. It's not the same. <laughs> It's Did you get the butter? Oh, yeah. Pumps of butter oh, and salt. Yeah. And Better have the napkins. Like, yeah, like the roof of my mouth was raw from so much salt. <laughs> it was all right, though. It's, it changed me. So we're kind of joking about legalism. Kind of tell us about how legalism, your background, how it drove you. Legalism was part of my life in every way. Our relationship with God was based on how we acted. But, you know, in talking about the movie theater, it was a major part of your Christianity. Like, you just couldn't do it. Couldn't go to the movie theater. But every Friday night, we'd get a party pack from Little Caesars or Family Meal of the Hill, go by the Blockbuster, get four VHS films, go home, pull a cart out of the closet that had a TV on it and a VCR, plug it in, watch the movie. When company came back over, you push the cart back in the... 
Legalism wasn't just our way of being close to God. We were rule followers in word, but not really in deed. Like we weren't even following the rules that we, <laughs> yeah, that we told. And I think that's really um, an attribute of legalism. There's so many things that you have to be in control of and try to keep hold of that eventually you just give up hmm. and you can't do it. But you have to put on this projection, like you are doing it. Yeah. And so. I saw that from a very early age as just hypocrisy. In fact, we used to ask our parents, hey, what's the difference in going to the blockbuster and getting a film three months after it comes out and then just going to the theater and watching it? There was never really a good answer. So, oh. yeah, that's, that's a, the movie theater is a microcosm of a huge field of landmines of law mm-hmm. that you have to be careful not to step on. Mm-hmm. And if you did step on it, make sure nobody found out about it right. kind of thing. And so how's that skew... A, a young a young man's image of really who God is. Most of my life, God was a bully with a baseball bat waiting around the corner, hmm. checking to see if I messed up. What that did was not make me more righteous or more holy in any way. It just made me really good at hiding the stuff that I wanted to do. But I wasn't a good kid. I look back at it now, and I, in that environment, I was kind of a rock star. I mean, I kept all the rules. I knew how to dress and how to look, and I was kind of the standard bearer for like the teen group. But I could tell you things that I did that would make you respect me a whole lot less now. But I knew how to get around the rules. It just makes you good at that. Um, If if there's not real heart change, you're not really concerned with what God wants you to do. You're only going to do what you want to do. But because you're part of the system, I mean, I guess it's like if I was a, a lawyer, I would know how to get away with breaking the law. Same thing when I was a kid. And so I wasn't a good kid. I was thought of as a good kid and a good teenager. And then, um, but I wasn't. So, Amy, um, you grew up in church too, uh, but your experience was was different than what Josh described. Tell us about your experience growing up. Um, it was. I grew up in um, a pastor's home. I was exposed to the gospel since I was born, and I'm thankful for the exposure. I know the Lord spared me from things that probably I could have gotten into and gotten a lot of trouble. But I was saved in November of um, 1987 at the age of six. I was baptized shortly thereafter. And my parents were very instrumental in that decision. I remember no matter what we did at the church, we were always involved. Um, My mom and dad always took us. It was never the church and our family. The church never came before us girls. I remember walking around the island, putting reports together in our kitchen. I remember going with dad to the hospital. You know, and he asked, he would ask us to pray before we left and... I remember doing ministry with my parents. My dad was very instrumental in leading me to the Lord. It was one Sunday night, and I remember after he had had a deacon's meeting, and he came home and led me to the Lord. And my walk with the Lord has grown sweeter over the years, even at that young age as I matured physically but also spiritually. And now it's one thing that Josh and I really love to do is to try to involve our kids in ministry so they know that it's not just a job for daddy. It is part of our life. It's what we live for. So I thought you might say, when you said that it was on a Sunday night, like I thought it was going to be like dad preached a sermon. And so you said it was a deacon's meeting. He had been at a deacon's meeting and um, I had gone home. I remember... I remember my Sunday school teacher, her name was Mrs. Shepherd. She was phenomenal. I remember she had talked about heaven and she talked about hell. I went home that night and I remember asking, my mama put me to bed. I remember getting up and asking mama, you know, was it true? And all, she explained to me more and she said, well, daddy be home after his deacon's meeting. And when he got home, um, I remember kneeling down on the left-hand side of my mom and dad's bed. And my dad was on the left-hand side. And I remember praying and asking the Lord to save me. So Josh, so how did you go from... Legalism, following the rules, to a Christ follower. 
So I think when you're in a system like that, you're good at putting up a facade so that nobody knows that you're a fraud. But you know you're a fraud. As you mature and get older, you start to see that they are too. And then you have this crisis of faith where you ask, is any of this real? Like, is there even a God? Is this just some kind of cultural weirdo club that I'm in? Or is there something real here? And it, it kind of came to that, like this crisis of, of understanding and wanting to know that God was real. I mean, you're, I'm still in the system, assistant pastor, teaching kids Bible and, and teaching um, college courses on Bible. But it's not really just how to study the Bible. It's here's all the dogma that you need to know to kind of progress this part of a, this, this sect of faith. So that's kind of the place I found myself in. Believing or not really believing, but kind of propping up this system. But in my mind thinking, I know this is malarkey, and is all this then? And I think when you come to that crisis, there's one of two directions you can go. You can Mm -hmm. say, this is insane, I'm out of here. And you go way far to the left. And Or you can really try to search for God and see if any of it's real. And I think that when the scripture says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. I don't know that I was seeking with all my heart, but I started to read books by people outside of that hmm. that place, um, Tim Keller and John Piper and Tuli Inchevigen. <laughs> I said that for Jason. <laughs> and you said Tim Keller for Lord. Yes. You didn't even know it. No. Oh, okay. I love Tim Keller. <laughs> I did too. Um, but I read a book um, called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. Hmm. And I sat there and wept through the whole thing. Because hmm. when you're 30... You think, man, I wasted a lot of time. And so I watched sermons by Louis Giglio, his How Great Is Our God sermon. And he painted this picture of who God was. And it was the first time I ever saw it. I was 29, been in ministry since I was graduated from college. And I thought, I'm do- I've been doing this wrong for so long. Mm-hmm. And which is even a funny statement because here I am thinking I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> when it's supposed to be God doing it through me. But I knew something was wrong. But it gave me this glimmer of hope that there was something real out there. Mm. And as I read more and more and studied the scripture for what it is, it was completely liberating. It helped me shake off the bondage that comes with legalism, know God for who he was, and then kind of live fearlessly. You don't have to look inside so much anymore Mm. and make sure that you're crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's, you were just able to be courageous and be who Jesus wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the Christian life is boom, it's alive. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about revival, that's revival. Like, God woke me up. Amen. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thankful for that. Well, one of the things that we hear a lot when we talk to people about their stories and kind of about their OBC story, um, there's this term that, I mean, it breaks our heart, uh, but we just hear it too much. It's church hurt. Man, it's a big part of your stories, and it's a big part of your OBC story, even after kind of your upbringing and your married and all that stuff. So how, how would you guys connect with people who go, yeah, man, I, I came to OBC because of some church hurt? And kind of talking about our story as far as coming alive in the midst of working and serving in a place um, that's not exactly like you. You come to realize you're not going to affect change from that level. And so I thought, you know what? I need to go somewhere and be a pastor, be the guy, and lead people in this way. And I had this foolhardy notion that you could just go in and 
guys, guess what I found out? And everybody's going to be like, yay, let's do that. And it wasn't like that at all. And so we labored for four years, three and a half years. Three and a half. Three and a half years um, at a church here in Eden. Eventually, there was just too much friction. And I came in on a Sunday night, and they said, we don't need you no more. And I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> and we left, and that was hard. Hmm. Um, a couple things I want to say about that. I was uh, upset about it for a long time. Like, I was completely victimized. But God was doing something to me in all that Mm. for me. I didn't lead there like I should have led. I wasn't the leader they needed for that time. God knew that. I think God moved us out of that place through painful means. I always tell people, if God hadn't moved us, I'd still be there trying to fight for to try to lead that group of people. But God came into the temple, started flipping tables over, and drove me out. And what seemed like a disaster at the time, God used for good. And so what would you say to somebody who isn't the pa- wasn't the pastor at the church, was a church attender, was bought in, loved the church? Some stuff kind of landed on them. They've experienced some church hurt, but it's fresh to them. What would you say to them about kind of this next, this next season of their, of their journey? I'd say it's going to be a little bit scary at first, but that there is a whole world of God's people out there who are ready to embrace them and love them and heal their wounds. Not only that, that's the victim side of it, but there's also that group, that same group of people who's going to help mend their wounds is going to also celebrate their gifts and restore them to a place where they didn't think they could ever be again. When we left there, I was just done. He, you know? I remember him saying to me, I'll never, I promise you, I'll never do ministry again. I think for me, my encouragement would be if you're hurt, don't just stay home. Find somewhere to go. Try new places, but don't just stay home. We were so, so hurt. I think there was a, a good possibility if this place had not been here. Mm-hmm for us to never set foot in a building again. Anybody who's been through church hurt, mm-hmm. I, I think, hears that and goes, yeah, no, absolutely, like, I get it. Like, we didn't know what we were going to do the next Sunday. Like, we're, what are we going to do? I mean, I told Josh, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't care to, I don't care anymore. And he goes, no, we're going to go. We're going to go to Osborne, and we're just going to check it out and just see. And if we don't like it, we'll go somewhere else, and we'll, we'll find where we fit. So what was that first Sunday like when you decided, hey, we're going to go to OBC? Josh has said, you know, I, I don't really know where else to go. I think mm-hmm. we need to just try it out. I was I was really, really scared. I had never been in this kind of setting before. Meaning big or contemporary? Contemporary. Hmm. Um, and big. I mean, the biggest church I'd ever grown up in was like 200, 250. But I promised Josh I would at least give it a try. And so we came. I was also really worried about leaving my kids. Hmm. You have to understand where I came from, our kids were it. So mama was nursery worker, Sunday school right. teacher, church, children's church teacher. You know, I was everything. And all of a sudden, while it was taxing on me, all of a sudden I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't even know where my kids are going to be or what, who they're going to be. Are they going to be together? The kids pastor, you know, David Tuck and Sarah were great. We had two in preschool at the time and two in the elementary program. They were great. They put my heart at ease. I, I just, I felt like I, I, I was, you know, I was going to be okay letting them go. But the whole experience was just very different for me from the dress to the music to you know everything was different smoke (laughs) (laughs) and I remember Josh saying could you get used to this and I flat out looked at him and said no I don't think I can do this it took me a good year before he was like you know I really think this is where we need to be what do you think Josh I wasn't nearly I I wouldn't say scared was the word maybe intimidated because it's completely new um, concept of what worship looks like I knew that was going to be different, but I knew some people up here from just the community. Hmm. So maybe a year before we 
visited here, Elsie fell off some playground equipment at school mm-hmm. and gashed her leg to the bone in like two places. We took her to the hospital. I just put a Facebook post out, hey, please pray for Elsie. You know, she's going to have to go into surgery and this kind of stuff. Out of the blue, Kim Garrett shows up and shorts in a tank top. She'd just been running and saw it. And she wasn't even Elsie's teacher. She was just like their running coach for an after-school thing. And she came up there and prayed over Elsie. I wasn't putting together Osborne and Kim. I was It was Central Elementary. Like That was kind of my background. But I'll say this. When we walked in... Y'all were ready for us. So we went to the 915 service. Then we went to a small group after that. Of course, these are all people we don't know. And we go around and kind of have this discussion of a Bible passage. And, you know, we didn't contribute much. I was like, you know, which is hard for me. <laughs> but I mean, this what had been to me just, I mean, it was literally the Sunday before that all this had happened. So it had been quite a week for yeah, us. Yeah, so it, it was yeah. seven days since, you know, I'd been fired from a church. So we're sitting in this small group. And it was kind of a superficial conversation. And then at the end, they said, we want to go around the room and take prayer requests. And I thought, okay. You know, because of the background that I grew up in where you couldn't be vulnerable, all the prayer requests were like, oh, pray for my old Ford. The lifters are kind of knocking on it, and <laughs> I got to take it to the shop. It was never anything like I'm struggling with mm. fill in the blank. And I watched go, people go around that room and thinking these people are, like, really laying stuff out there. Mm. And so they came to us last and, you know, kind of, formally said, so savages, do y'all have anything we can pray about? I'm like, yeah, you bet I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even going to say anything, but all these people are just laying their hearts out in the open. And I said, it's been a rough week. Here's what happened on Sunday. Mm. And we're here for our first time. Neither one of us have a job. We don't know what we're going to do yet, but we need some prayer. They put us in the center of the room, and every couple laid hands on us. And we prayed in that room for probably 20 minutes, going around the room. And in that moment, like, it was like you felt the embrace of Jesus for real. I know that's kind of a trite statement, but I'm telling you, something was going on in that room. And then, not only that, but that became our small group. And after praying for us, they started putting feet to their prayer. Mm-hmm. So I got fired August 8th. This was like August 15th. School was coming, getting ready to start. Mm-hmm. Swishers gave us a Walmart gift card for all of our kids' school supplies. Potters would take us out every other Friday for a double date. And they always paid for everything because they want to make sure we, hmm. they knew we didn't, I mean, when I say we didn't have anything, I mean nothing. We'd make a box of macaroni, serve the kids that macaroni for dinner, and me and Amy would go sit in the living room because there wasn't enough to eat. So, I mean, nothing is what we had. And they just kind of lifted us up and helped us off the field, if that makes sense. We were limping. But they got us to the sideline and got us back on our feet. Not a plug necessarily for groups, but... If it was, it'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to make it sound like a commercial, but... That's where a lot of ministry happens and a lot of personal help I'm comes I'm going to go as far as to say, I don't know that we would have stayed here if we hadn't gotten in a group, hmm. to be honest. I mean, they showed up at our house with food for dinner. I mean, and I kept a list Not on my fit. phone from the day Josh got let go. And it was almost a year. Every single day, something happened. I mean, every single day, pizza got sent to our house. Hmm. We got a check in the mail for we didn't even know from who. Hmm. I mean, I, I still have it on my phone. Almost every day for a year, something came in the mail or got delivered to our house. And it wasn't just like, hey, this is a nice gift. It was life-sustaining. I think it was important for us, too, to be honest that day. I remember Josh looked at me and said, I'm just going to tell it all. Are you okay with that? I was like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was important that that we did that. We had no one to talk to. But I'll say that they created an environment where that was okay. Yeah. It was okay to be vulnerable. If it had just been, hey, my not my... Lifters are knocking on my truck. I wouldn't have said anything. But I mean, we we were we went into 
detail. I mean, these people were sharing their hearts. I mean, mm-hmm. the struggles they were facing. You can't you can't not build a relationship with someone who is that open and honest with you about what they're struggling mm-hmm. with. So you you said you were afraid before mm-hmm. you showed up. Oh yeah. Um, but what a huge jump to go to a small group mm-hmm. the first day. If you don't know Amy and you're just listening to this, and you probably don't know this because she's so articulate and well spoken, but <laughs> she, I mean, she describes herself as not the social butterfly, right? So, so there are people who are here in this who are afraid and aren't extroverts who have not gotten over the hump and are not experiencing kind of what community is like. What do you say to them? I'm I'm definitely not a social butterfly at all. I very much like to be in the background and not be out in front of everyone. But I would say, from my personal experience, just put yourself out there. Be willing to make new friends. Be willing to be honest and transparent. And so I would say, put yourself out there. Be willing to make new friends and get involved. And I, I really think... I would I would go to say I promise you won't we won't regret it. Mm-hmm. I want to encourage you guys to you know we always see this so a lot of people when they're making the decision about do we go to a group a lot of it is about you know what can I get really God's plan is is as much about what you can give and so it's I, I don't know that I've ever connected these two dots but I can't go past Josh and him say to me hey how you doing and me go fine if I look like I'm not doing fine he's gonna say like no for real because. <laughs> You don't, it, it doesn't seem like it. And so it's it's neat that you guys, that's who you guys have become, is the people that it's okay to be transparent with. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about groups and worship. Kind of tell us a little bit about your experience with serving, because you got pretty involved pretty quickly. Yeah. So the first thing I did was jump on the parking lot team. Yeah. I think it's the entry point for every male person who comes <laughs> to church. <laughs> um, it was nice to, to be contributing in some way and mm-hmm. in serving too. So, so there's the, the giving side of serving, obviously, because somebody needs to be out there parking the cars. Mm-hmm. You meet people that way and that's wonderful and you can be a blessing to them. But also there's just a camaraderie that comes with serving with any team. You get together with people. I, I don't think there's any better way to get close to somebody than to kind of roll up your sleeves mm-hmm. and work with them. I may not talk to those people again the whole week, but Sunday morning at 8.45 or 8.30, we're going to be all back there together. And we're going to talk again. I'm going to ask how your week was. And mm-hmm. you don't get that if you're just walking out of the service heading to mm-hmm. your car. So serving is beneficial to the people you're serving, but it's also really beneficial to you as a person. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're just coming and sitting in church, great. I'm glad you're here. But you're not getting the whole benefit of what the church has to offer for sure. You just kind of you kind of come into this inner circle of friendship with the people who are on who are on your team. That was a huge part of becoming part of the OBC culture was not just, can I get used to the music? Do I like my small group? You get in with this group of guys and you guys, you have a certain level of importance. If the park parking guys don't show up on Sunday morning, it's a catastrophe outside. Yes. You look at each other and say, man, we're SEAL Team 6 of parking. That's right. You know? And it's just a it's a cool, fun group to be a part of when you're serving with somebody. Mm-hmm. That's, that's been a huge part of adopting the OBC culture is getting in there and helping out. Mm-hmm. So, Amy, I don't, I don't remember what like you've, you've done and are doing so much. I, I don't recall what your on-ramp serving was. What was that story? Um, I'll be right honest with you. It took me probably a good year and a half before I put my neck out there. Um, and got back involved, and I started just subbing for, for David. 
when he needed help. Um, Shout out David Tuck, future <laughs> podcast guest. Yes. <laughs> Friend of the pod. I uh, started subbing for him on Wednesday nights and um, Sunday mornings when he needed me. Um, and then one Wednesday um, quarter, I took a small group and met with the fifth grade girls, which was special because I taught fifth grade. Mm-hmm. It went from there to... Um, Josh was actually interning um, as a pastor in Bethany, in the Bethany area. And so I was here all by myself with the kids. And so my kids wanted to be here for both services, but I didn't have necessarily anything to do for one of the services. And Josh said, I think you need you need to get plugged in, do something more. And so I talked to Sarah, and um, Sarah Heston and I started working in babies. Shout um, out Sarah and Daniel Heston, future <laughs> podcast guys. And um, so I was... I did that for almost a year, and then she moved me up to the two-year-olds, and I serve there now every other Sunday, and then the other opposite Sundays, I'm on prayer team. Well, I think it's important, too. You know, Josh, you, you didn't take as much time to kind of jump in and serve, but Amy, you, you had to heal some, mm-hmm. and we, in Next Steps, we always want to try to make people comfort them by saying, look, we're, if you're coming from a church hurt Okay, you take as much time as you need to heal. I will say that, Laura. That is one thing because I I went to David and Sarah and said, I feel awful. Like, I feel like I'm take, take, taking for my kid. Like, my kids are getting all this and I'm not giving anything back. And both of them Mm -hmm. on separate occasions said to me, you have to take the time to make sure that you're okay before you step back in. I never felt pressured to to step back in right away. Mm. You guys own IWE journeys are different. Mm, very mm-hmm. much. And, and I think one thing that's so wise about just all IWE is and Steve's vision for all that is it's just such an individual thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it left yes. to myself, we'd never have gone to that group on that Sunday, that first Sunday. We would have walked out the door, but Josh is the one who was like, no, we need to try this. And so that, I think, even in the Lord putting two complete opposites together. It wasn't really a spiritual decision either, is it not? An extra hour and a half, I'd have to be with the kids. So. Gosh. <laughs> well, talking about kids, so for us, OVC um, has had and is still having a huge impact on our family. Can y'all talk a little bit about the impact it's having on your kids, on your family as a whole? David Tuck is a deity at our house. <laughs> <laughs> Ours too. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah, so with our kids, they're having conversations with me at very early ages, 11, 9, about things that I didn't get a hold of until I was 29, 30. So there's stuff that's being ingrained in them that'll be like muscle memory, but applicable to the gospel that I didn't get, that I'm still having to learn, that I still have to fight against the lens of legalism often. And so to see them just catching that stuff. Look, they're, they're learning gospel the way we learned English. It's just, it's around them all the time. And so it's going to be their first language. Elsie went through a, a real struggle yeah. at one point. And, you know, Pastor David really stepped up. Pastor Steve, you know, gave us some ideas to help her. The fact that she wasn't afraid to say, I'm not sure God's really real. How do I know God is real? Like the fact that she was comfortable enough asking those questions. I'm just glad that she's in a place that she feels like she can ask those questions and know that she's not going to be judged. Talk about setting kids up for a whole life of faith. I mean, 
who's listening to this that's not asking some version of those questions? Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's right. But the fact they're doing it so young, I think, is powerful. When I look back, I'm thankful. You know, yeah. it becomes more real to her if she has those questions answered. You know, it becomes it becomes her. It's her God. It's her mm-hmm. Savior. It's not mommy and daddy's. So, guys, up until this point, this story of what God's done in your life personally and in your family and, and through the local church, man, if this was the end of the story, you guys would continue to grow and we'd say praise God. They said the end of it. There was more to come in the Savages and OBC story. Tell us about that. The Monday after our first Sunday here, I got the car. Amy had helped me apply for some jobs in the school system. Nobody had called in, you know, two hours after I applied. So <laughs> I got in the car. I just drove to one of the schools that I knew had a position. Walked in, shook the principal's hand, and said, you got this job available. I'd like to have it. And he said, okay, you could have the job. And so I became a full-time custodian. Started making some money and kind of starting to get back on our feet a little bit. You don't make a lot of money as a custodian, but income's income. So, you know, <clears throat> it was nice. So like eight days removed from catastrophe, things start looking up. Mm-hmm. We've, at least in my mind, we've found a church. <laughs> this small group has reached out to us in multiple ways. Like that first Monday night is when the first meal showed up um, at our house. So we were eating good. I got a job on that Monday, and things were kind of going good. And I was known to say at that time, I won't go pastor again. I can do custodial work for the rest of my life, and my kids grow up in this church. That's enough for me. I was a, a custodian at a school for a year and a half, and then I moved on to school maintenance. It's like, yeah, man, I'm kind of moving up in this system. And I'd say, you know, I can work maintenance for the rest of my life as long as my kids get to go to OBC instead of Pastor David and Pastor Ryan and Pastor mm-hmm. KB and all this kind of stuff. I'll, that'll be fine with me. I got a little side gig as a interim pastor for a church, and all of a sudden I wasn't at OBC anymore. I was doing maintenance and then going to another church that wasn't my church. But he went there every Sunday on his own, and the kids and I came here every yep. Sunday. Yeah, we didn't want to uproot what was going on mm-hmm. In the kids' here. lives, yeah. And it was always going to be a temporary thing. The church was uh, Sharon Baptist Church out in Reedsville, Bethany area, and they are a group of absolutely wonderful people. Wonderful mm-hmm. people, yeah. It's a traditional mm-hmm. church. They sing hymns. You know, they dress in suits and ties and that kind of stuff. It's not like OBC. But it is a group of people who loved us and cared for us. And when we would go there on Sunday nights with you, they embraced our kids. They yeah. loved me and the kids. Kids got into Awanas and stuff kind. there. Yeah. Um, I decided to go on a mission trip to Uganda, and they took up a month's worth of offerings and paid my entire way to go on the trip. Wow. You know, so it's just, it was stuff like that where we were really embraced there. And um, sharing, man. So, you know, we love local churches and we love pastors. Absolutely. I've gotten to know Pastor Kevin Duncan. Yeah, uh, um, great guy. Yeah, no, love him, man, and, and yeah. just excited about what God's doing there. Miss Wilma there leads their prayer group. Um, she came over here with me. We talked with Valerie about how Valerie uh, sends out prayer prompts and that kind of stuff. And so we were kind of sister churches and, and are, I guess, sister churches. It's It was a small part of my story, but it's a part of my story that's kind of eternal almost. I think mm-hmm. it, was, it was healing, too, in yeah, a way. it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was back in the pulpit, and I got to preach and teach. And and it was a wonderful time, and it really helped us make some ground that we lost. I look back with fondness on that time, for sure. But that said, I wasn't at OBC. I was doing the maintenance thing, enjoying it, but I missed my church. A few weeks later, we came home on a Sunday, and we always take a Sunday afternoon nap. At least we did back then when the kids were a little smaller. Shout out naps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sunday's the day of rest, and we mean it. 
Um, but we lay down, and I was almost dozed off, and Steve called. I said, hello, because he called me every Sunday while I was at Sharon. What did you preach on today? How'd it go? Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on? He was very pastoral during that time, as you know, is his way. Mm-hmm. He's great at that kind of stuff. Um, and so he talk, called me every Sunday afternoon, and I was almost dozed off, and he called. I thought, man, what a bad time to call. <laughs> but I answered the phone anyway. He goes, hey, man, I got a question for you. I said, okay. And he said, um, I want you to know that I value your gifts and talents as a pastor, as a preacher, as a student of the word. I'm not devaluing any of that at all, but there's a potential opening here at the church. I said, I'll do it. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Um, you know, it don't matter if you're in the Mickey Mouse suit or you're a princess or you're just serving hot dogs. If you work at Disneyland, you work at Disneyland. You know what I mean? And so he took that, and uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in it. I said, yeah. Voted me in to work and be the hospitality director, and I have not looked back since. Mm. I literally spring out of bed ready to come to work every day. Mm. Like, But, man, the people I work with, I love, upstairs and downstairs, I got a tremendous team in the cafe. Good attitudes, hustle. They're just amazing. I don't know what the future holds, but if it's 30 years of managing the cafe and doing hospitality, Mm. I'm good with that. Amy, I love to hear the way that you describe and tell the story of um, everything that's going on uh, during this time. So so Josh says, hey, um, Steve called. <laughs> How would that go down at home? It was, I don't know, it was really, it was almost one of those things like this is too good to be true. <laughs> almost two years to the day, shy of just a couple months, Josh is on staff. From when he got let go. But, you know, our ruins that day in what we call our ruins that day in August of 2016, it literally changed. It, it changed our lives. And I think what Josh said is true. If we, and I, we'll be honest, we were looking kind of to leave the little church we were pastoring in Eden. But we would have gone to something just like it if the Lord hadn't just ripped the rug out from underneath us as hard as that was, as mm-hmm. abrupt as that was. But he began to turn everything around, and literally, like the the Bible says, that he restored the years of the locust to Job. He has literally done that for us over the last two years. Um, we could not not be thankful for the trial that we went through, um, because without it, we wouldn't be here. We often tell the kids. I mean, the kids will tell you, if Daddy hadn't got fired, we wouldn't be at Osborne. <laughs> I mean, they have said that before. We're grateful for what we've learned, what we are learning, and what opportunities you know await us as a family. So we know what Sunday morning looks like for Josh in the cafe. Lots of coffee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I like that coffee, too, by the way. Um, so, Amy, kind of tell us about what's your Sunday morning like, because you're not in the cafe area. You're busy doing what? No. Josh, is he's usually up and gone, you know, and he comes early about 7 o'clock. So mm-hmm. it's me and the kids get here and we usually have breakfast in the cafe just so we can see him Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And then the kids go their way, and now they're all in the elementary program. Oh, all that's four nice. there. Because there's, I mean, literally one year, pretty much one yeah. year apart. <clears throat> and so this will be the last year. Dick will go to middle school next year. Um, but they go their way, and depending on the Sunday, I go to the babies and two-year-old babies mm-hmm. and serve so that their parents can go rest and worship and I love living on those little babies, um, <laughs> probably because I wouldn't mind having another one. And Josh is like, go work in the nursery. <laughs> we ain't having no more. Um, and then the other Sunday, um, you know, I had just had this this 
team of people that get together in a quiet space Mm -hmm. and just literally pray over needs that are on people's hearts. It's, it's just, it's, it's almost literally like you can feel God in that room. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean the, the prayers and the the things that are on people's hearts, Mm -hmm. um, are overwhelming at times. And then to, just to pray together, we share things, you know, usually there's four or five of us. We share things in our own lives. Um, but that's one thing I love that. I love the babies too, but I really love mm-hmm. every other Sunday, um, on the prayer team. And I enjoy working in the summers and vacation Bible school, um, and helping out that way. So my Sunday looks a lot different than Josh's does. <laughs> That's why you guys need naps on Sunday. Yes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Siesta. So, Josh, you, you said the term hospitality director a few minutes ago. Um, kind of talk about your team. Um, let us in kind of behind the scenes. Like, what is what's hospitality director even mean? What's some what's some stuff that some folks that uh, that are hearing this that love the cafe coffee? Um, what do they not know about what's happening with the hospitality team? So pretty much anytime you're here and there's food present, I had something to do with that. <laughs> Which is often yes. for a big Baptist church, right? Yes, yeah, we Baptists, we like to eat, that's for sure. Um, so there's a lot of planning that goes on, um, and that's true of every ministry around here. Uh, one thing I love about working here is the way we ramp up toward things and plan so well to make stuff happen. I think as a church member, when I walked in, you walk in and you're looking around like, oh my word, this is inc- this is incredible. And it is. It's all incredible. Um, but there's tons of work that goes into making all that happen. Um, <clears throat> so I have a group of about 10 people and they work between 20, 25, 30 hours a week, depending on how, uh, what the week looks like. Um, here recently, we've been feeding 1,500 people a week. That's a ton of food that goes in and out of our kitchen all the time. And you got to stay ahead of it. Um, if you run out of something, it's not like you can go down to Walmart and get hmm. this kind of bulk food. Um, so there's a lot of planning that goes into it. There's a lot of financial um, uh, responsibility, I think, that goes into it. When I took the job, I thought, man, I'm just going to be in the kitchen like, bam, making all these incredible dishes. And all of a sudden, Marie comes up and says, hey, where's all these receipts? I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, but there's also just a lot of wonderful relationships that are behind the team. My team is a family. We have a little group chat that we're in. We pray for each other. Um, we help each other out. We grow close that way. And then because of the nature of this job, it's a temporary spot for most people. Most of the people I hire are for a few months. Mm-hmm. It's their first job, or they're here for the summer before they go back to school. And every time somebody leaves, it's like losing a kid. Mm-hmm. So behind the scenes would be kind of the administration that goes on to make everything happen and the the family atmosphere that we have. Um, I got a cafe manager, Gail Woods. She could be my mom. Mm-hmm. I love her. I, I love I, Gail too. Yeah, she's uh, shout out Gail. Every day um, that my kids come up here, Jake asked me asked her the other day. He goes, "Hey, I know the the coronavirus is going around." Jake comes up and helps with the COVID meal sometimes. Because I know there's a coronavirus going around, but could I just get a hug? <laughs> and Gail gave him a hug. So, yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of real family atmosphere that happens down in our area. I've never one time considered that element of leading your team. I've never 
it's, I mean, it's so true when you say it. I go, oh yeah, but I don't. I've never thought one time about it being transient. Very transient. Yeah. I didn't realize just in, in when we have conversation how much planning goes into it. Mm-mm. So we're. I'm still learning it. I'm. I'm not a pro at it by any stretch of the imagination, but. Um, I've started to learn now when you're feeding 500 people, you don't think in terms of servings, you think in terms of pounds. <laughs> wow. Like, how many pounds of this do I mm-hmm. need? And a lot of that, though, is it's not me, it's team. you got to have the right people in place to do that kind of stuff. Mm. So one of, the, one of the things, one of these little kind of phrases we've thrown around uh, is small town, big God. What do you have to say about what God's doing here in Eden, North Carolina, through OBC, specifically the cafe. So I always tell anybody that comes to work for us that our job is to help facilitate ministry. So on a normal day in the cafe, we'll have three or four pastors down there doing ministry. And that could just be recruiting somebody to lead a group. But it could be talking to somebody whose wife is leaving them. Because we want to further the mission of the church, helping people love Jesus and everybody else, we want to create a clean, safe, good environment for that ministry to happen. If Steve is going to come down and talk to somebody whose marriage is falling apart, we don't want those two guys to have to wipe their sticky table off. We want to get all the the peripheral stuff out of the equation so they can sit down and just talk. We don't want Steve to, have to bring his salad back up because it's got mushrooms in it and he doesn't like mushrooms. You know, so... The stuff we that you see us do, we're doing food service, but it's a step further than that in my mind because we're facilitating an environment where ministry, dreams, help can come. My first experience at OBC wasn't church. It was on a Wednesday in the cafe with you mm-hmm. and Steve. And we sat there for two hours and just talked. That was a healing thing for me. The cafe is an important part of what we do. It makes our church open to the public every day. Um, So another part of our goal is for somebody who looks at our church and thinks, I would never go there, but I'll come eat a sandwich. If we can let that person walk out our door and think, that was a good experience, Hmm. then we've accomplished part of our mission for the church. Hmm. So help ministry happen. Leave people in our community who aren't part of our church with a good taste in their mouth, figuratively and and physically, I guess, Um, and then uh, just be a light in the community. Be a, be a constant source of excellence for our church. Excellence. Uh, Jason Wilson, he's excellent. There's a lot of people in the community who will never see him sing. Hmm. Our groups are done excellently. There's a lot of people in our community who will never be a part of one of them. Steve is the best preacher I've ever heard. In case he's listening to this. <laughs> Shout out Pastor Steve and Miss Jenny, future podcast guest. <laughs> That's right. No, he's the best preacher I've ever heard. But there will be thousands of people in our community who will never hear him preach. We have a, a distinct ability to reach people who you might not have an opportunity to. And if we can smile at them, let them know Jesus loves them, and give them a quality meal, that's what we want to do. So we're recording this in May of 2020. We've kind of mentioned it a few times throughout the conversation, but... Talk about being a light to the community. Give us the give us the cliff notes on Operation COVID Care. So we've partnered with um, the food supplier for the Baptist Men's Association, and they bring us deliveries Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're a 
bistro style cafe. Okay, mm-hmm. so we serve six or seven different sandwiches, soups, salads, that kind of stuff. And then when COVID shut us down as a restaurant, Steve said, "Hey, why don't we just feed people for free?" And I said, "Okay, how many?" He goes, "I don't know. I'm thinking like a hundred." He said, "I don't know, five <laughs> hundred? Okay, yeah, we can do that." And so we started doing that. Um, I'll say this: <clears throat> it hasn't just been a cafe venture. Um, there's a lot of planning and volunteering amongst the rest of our staff, knowing how many boxes we need for certain places, arranging for them to be picked up and delivered. It's been a really a team effort. One part of the team has made about 15,000 meals. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> made and boxed uh-huh. 15,000 meals. <laughs> yeah, well, so I got a team that is just, like I said, incredible. And so every Wednesday we'll sit down, me and Gail will sit down, and we'll plan the weeks the next week. And we'll say, here's the paper products that we need to bring in. Here's the food product that we need to bring in. Here's what we need to do on our prep days to make sure that we're ready for Monday, Wednesday, Friday meals. Then we kind of disseminate that information to the rest of the team, and it all just somehow magically gets done. And we've cooked all kinds of stuff. We've been super creative. Um, We've fed people for as little as 71 cents per box, and that's including the paper products. Mm. When we first started, our goal was to keep everything under four bucks, and our most expensive meal so far has been two seventy-five. Wow, it's a God thing for sure, because mm. this is just not what we do. Mm. And God has worked out every source of how we source our food. He's put a team in place around me that has just killed it every single day. For whatever reason, even though we're not used to buying food or meals in this kind of bulk, every day we pretty much hit our number right on. And so we haven't wasted very much food. We've never been short on food. And so, like I said, I think it's, we're going to attempt great things for God and God's going to fill in the needs and our weaknesses that we're not really ready for yet. Mm-hmm. And these 15,000 meals have gone to um, hospitals, they've gone to doctor's offices, they've gone to uh, group homes, first responders, um, police, and quite a large number of uh, elderly, at-risk people who are part of our church body and just part of our community. Mm-hmm. And God's gotten yeah. a lot of glory, I believe, from this. We've received a lot of positive feedback, but not just, hey, y'all are so great. It's thank you for being Jesus during this time. Amen. Mm-hmm. And if we if we can do that, whether it's food or groups or whatever we're doing, that's ministry success. So as we kind of wrap up our conversation, if people are going to remember one thing about your story... What would it be? Um, I would say no matter what you have faced, are facing, or will face, that God already knows about it, and he's leading you to something even better than you can possibly imagine. He has definitely your best interests at heart, and I don't think I could have said that, you know, when all this happened with us, but I do believe that with all my heart. He he had his the best interests for us when that rug was pulled out from underneath us. And as hard as it is in our flesh, um, just trust him and know that in his time he makes all things perfect. And then rejoice and look back on all how the goodness of the Lord is and was displayed in your life. Preach. Yeah. I think if people are going to remember me in any way, I don't want them to remember that I was somebody that came from a hole spiritually. I didn't even start as a blank canvas. I started as a <laughs> legal scholar of everything that's wrong. <laughs> And God just keeps on rescuing me over and over and over again for myself. So he rescued me out of that. He put, puts me in a, on a rock and in a position to serve him. And I mess up all the time on that. And somehow it works out. Mm. You've seen the 
gif before of the guy who keeps falling down the escalator, but the escalator keeps pulling him up. <laughs> I think it's a sanctification <laughs> gif. That's kind of been my ministry life. I love God, and I want to serve him, and he makes that happen. Mm. Not because I bring some sort of amazing gift or talent, but because he just keeps on rescuing me. He just loves me. Mm. Man, there's so many people who can relate to so many parts of y'all's story. We're very thankful that uh, that you guys have taken some time to share that on the podcast. We're even more thankful that uh, Jesus is the hero of your story. Yes. And that means we're brothers and sisters, and we love you. We're so thankful that you were here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I, We, He at OBC. To learn more about our church, you can check us out at osbornebaptist.com. Maybe during this episode, you thought about taking another step in your faith journey. We'd love to hear about it. Send me an email to jbarrow at osbornebaptist.com. Please be sure to share this podcast on all your social media platforms. Until next time, church family, keep helping people love Jesus and everyone else.